Welcome to Hubwonk. I'm your host, Joe Salvaggi. Welcome to Hubwonk, a podcast of Pioneer Institute, a think tank in Boston. As the promise that a vaccine will deliver us from the crippling effects of COVID-19, Massachusetts still must address the economic ills that cannot be cured with a needle. The pandemic and the attending state mandates for shutdowns led to the sudden unemployment of more than 1 million Massachusetts workers at its peak. Owing to the sudden and involuntary nature of those job separations, the state's unemployment insurance system has been stretched to its limit. At the end of 2020, the state's unemployment trust fund the fund which is intended to support the unemployed, had a $2.4 billion deficit with debt continuing to rise as the epidemic persists. The challenge for the UI model is that rates for the employed must rise to meet and pay down this deficit. Indeed, the UA rates are due to rise this year from an average of $544 per employee to $866, an increase of 60%. This increase will inevitably create a drag on a recovery that is crucial for struggling workers. Can something be done to mitigate the cost of UI on employers eager to recover from the ravages of the pandemic? My guest today is John Regan, president of Associated Industries of Massachusetts. AIM is an organization advocating for more than 3,400 employers. AIM members extend from fledgling startups to cutting-edge technology, service, and manufacturing companies, which employ three-quarters of a million Massachusetts residents. John will share with us his views on the current condition of the Unemployment Insurance Trust Fund, how we got here, what the possible effects of rate increases would be on employers, and what the options are for legislators to mitigate the challenges of a post-pandemic recovery. When I return, I'll be joined by John Regan, President and CEO of Associated Industries of Massachusetts. Okay, I'm back. This is Hubwonk. I'm your host, Joe Salvaggi, and I'm now joined by Ames President and CEO, John Regan. Welcome to the show, John. Thanks, Joe. Uh, thanks for having me. All right, before we talk about the the current challenges with our unemployment insurance system uh, and the choices before us, uh, for our listeners, how does unemployment insurance work uh, and what was the system's health before the onset of the epidemic? So unemployment insurance has been with us since the mid thirties. It's a 100% employer funded system. Employers pay two taxes, one at the state level and the other at the federal level. And those combined resources are used to run the system, as well as to pay the benefits that unemployed workers are entitled to. In Massachusetts, and I did a little bit of research before joining you today, if you go back to February of 2020 and read that trust fund report, the projected year-end balance for this year was over $2 billion. And our rates would have fallen from rate table E to rate table D. So a slight decline in rates were projected. And then it was roughly a $2 billion balance through 2024. I see. Fast forward to October and the picture gets a little more bleak. Um, Minus 2.4 billion, I'll round all these up. Uh, We're looking at a negative 
4.8 billion for the end of 21, minus 5 billion for the end of 22, 4 billion for 23, negative, and negative 3 for 24. And the rate tables push all the way to G, which is the most expensive rate table in the system. So uh, the story is until the pandemic, uh, things were looking pretty good for the the trust fund. Uh, and of course, uh, then we had the pandemic. Right. Um, so at a high level, the plan is to have workers and employers pay in when they're working. And those funds are taken out when someone goes on unemployment if their work is interrupted. Is is the rate that an employer or essentially an employee pays based uh, on their entire uh, income or is it capped at a certain rate? It's capped at the first $15,000 of your income. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. And when an employee collects unemployment, how is that amount calculated? So I'd, I'd like to be able to tell you it's a very simple formula, but it isn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's based on how much you earn over a specific period of time, essentially, and I'll just really make it simple, it's about 50% of your average weekly wage up to a capped amount of $855. So if if you're a high earner, you're not going to get 50% of a you know $400,000 salary. You're going to get 50% of your salary up to $855. And uh it's characterized as unemployment insurance. One doesn't merely need to be unemployed. What, what, what is the eligibility to be, to be able to collect unemployment insurance? So the first thing you have to do to be eligible is you have to demonstrate what they refer to as an attachment to the workforce. And that's generally defined as having earnings over a certain set period of time. So, you know, for the last four quarters, they look at what your earnings were for the last four quarters. They take the highest two quarters of your earnings and they use that to determine your weekly benefit. So that's the, that's the threshold attachment to the workforce. In order to claim the benefits, you have to be separated from work through no fault of your own. So if you're fired, theoretically, you're not eligible to receive unemployment. Or if you quit voluntarily in those circumstances, you're not eligible to collect either. So if you think about sort of what happened in the pandemic, everyone got separated from work through no fault of their own. Sure. And thousands and thousands of people were eligible to collect. Now, the unemployment insurance trust fund uh, must be designed to anticipate business cycles, uh, sometimes when uh, business is good, economies are good, and of course, when economies have downturns, let's say in a recession. While no system could anticipate a pandemic, were there uh, safety measures in place to anticipate a large-scale unemployment event like a pandemic? So the, the system is resilient. As I mentioned, employers pay two types of tax, one at the federal level, one at the state level. The money that's collected at the federal level is also available to pay for benefits that arise out of an economic, a period of economic distress. So if there were a deep recession in Massachusetts and we needed additional resources to pay benefits because our trust fund was starting to run out of money, there is a pool of resource in Washington that can be deployed to Massachusetts to pay benefits. And then the the last resort is the ability of the unemployment insurance system 
to draw resources directly from the treasury uh, without further appropriation. And so the system is designed to make sure that no unemployed worker goes without their benefits, irrespective of what's happening in each of the 50 states. So if the states have not planned for the rainy day, and I mean, we had 2 billion plus, um, the Fed step in to, to pick up the slack. And that's what happened here. So the feds are a backstop to the states. Uh, That's right. Okay. Um, now you represent uh, nearly or more than 3,500 employers. Um, I'm sure all have been affected by the pandemic. What would, what would you characterize as a profile of a, of a firm that's most affected or, or in a sense uh, had to lay off uh, uh, many of its workers and, and are eager then to then turn around and, and rehire? What is the profile of, a, of one of your members looks like? So I think, and by now, I think everyone could recite these statistics or these facts, but anybody in the sort of the public facing hospitality, entertainment, uh, any operation that's you know facing the customers like that, certain retail, uh, they're struggling. The other areas where there's there's been some struggle is in you know, two areas that we like to brag about in Massachusetts, uh, the eds and the meds community. Mm -hmm. uh, education has been hit. Uh, I know that the colleges and universities around Massachusetts are struggling. Uh, some of them are trying to figure out how to get students back onto the campus. I know of a few institutions that have invited students to come back at a reduced rate, but uh, the take up on that offer was pretty low. Mm -hmm. um, so I think there's a lot of students deferring their education, uh, perhaps Instead of going four years to Northeastern, they're going to do a couple of years at a community college and then pick up at Northeastern down the road. I use that just as an example, of course. Sure. Uh, the health system, healthcare system, again, I think, um, you know, when, when the p pandemic began and as the first wave overtook us, all the elective procedures were stopped to preserve capacity, uh, particularly in the ER and in the ICU units. So those, those things have had an, an effect on uh, the medical delivery system. And I think that's gonna take some time, again, as we're into the second wave uh, to get better. Yeah, sure. The, the group of members that I think did, did really well are our manufacturing members. Mm -hmm. uh, many of them were essential and they stayed open. Uh, and those that weren't were reopened in phase one and they've been open ever since. Oh, a little bit of good news there. Um, now, given that the system is designed to replenish when uh, the reserves are low, uh, and I guess they adjust rates to do that, right? If it's the, the trust fund is low, then the I guess you characterize as a schedule changes so that employers pay more. You threw out some letters. I'm not sure I was keeping up. I think <laughs> we were supposed to have gone from E to D, which is a good thing. We're going from a higher rate to a lower rate if the pandemic had not occurred. Uh, but then you throw out a letter of the maximum being G, if I'm keeping up, uh, which is, I think, um, where I would guess we're expected to go. Say more about um, what those schedules look like and um, you know, who determines what we're supposed to pay. So the, the uh, rate table is a function of Massachusetts general law. The uh, key elements are as you described them. So the size of the trust fund, the more we have in reserve, the lower the rates. It's like any other insurance type situation. And the, lo the 
most inexpensive schedule is A, and the most expensive schedule is G. And even within those letter categories, employers are individually rated. So if you're an employer who's never laid anybody off ever, never used the unemployment insurance system, there's a, a balance assigned to your account. So the more money you have in your account, the lower rate you pay on schedules A through G. Conversely, if you're using the system quite a bit, and by using, I mean you're having people go into the system with some frequency, and the balance assigned to your account is negative. And by the way, that there are many employers who have negative account balances. Those employers pay among the highest unemployment insurance rates. So right now we are we were at um, at E uh, and now we have a new year upon us. What is it? You had said it may go to G. Um, I'd done some research and saw that that would be effectively a 60 percent increase in that rate from about five hundred forty four dollars to about eight hundred and sixty six dollars per employee. What are your members saying about the effect of a 60% increase in unemployment insurance? Yeah, uh, and this is a case where the timing couldn't be worse, right? We're battling our way back, and now we're looking at you know much higher unemployment insurance costs. We sent a letter to the general court mid-December expressing our concern about these numbers. And by the way, all that debt that I mentioned at the top of the show, that all has to get paid back over time as well. Uh, maybe a day or two after we sent that letter up, the administration filed a bill which would freeze the rates at, I'll have to look at my notes. This is where <laughs> I, even, even I get lost in the details. Um, let's see. So the governor is proposing to freeze the rates at Schedule E for the next two years. Mm-hmm. So locking in, Uh, like a $630 to $660 uh, per year rate. So it's still up a little bit, but it's not up uh, as it would have been if we let the statute operate uh, in its normal course. So that that will provide a little bit of relief. The, the, The balancing act here, of course, is that to the extent that we're not funding the trust fund, we are running the risk of adding additional debt that will have to be paid at some point. We've been advocating in Washington pretty aggressively and our Massachusetts delegation has been fantastic uh, that the Fed should step in and make all the borrowing that the states have done to float their UI systems, make those loans interest-free like they used to be uh, back a long time ago. Haven't had much success with that to date, but we're hoping as the new Washington emerges over the next three or four weeks, uh, we might have an opportunity to revisit that particular issue. In the meantime, if nothing happens at the federal level, the governor's bill, which he filed in mid-December, which by the way, I think is moving in the legislature today or tomorrow, um, provides a funding mechanism where the state would float bonds to pay back the federal government and then the employer community would be assessed uh, in order to pay back those bonds. The thinking here is that if the state uses its credit worthiness, the borrowing costs would be very, very low and it would be more advantageous to 
have Massachusetts employers pay Massachusetts back than to pay the feds back. So two, two measures of relief. One is the frozen rate and the other is the um, retire the debt financing plan. But essentially, Massachusetts employers would still be paying their own unemployment trust. It would just be over time. And perhaps uh, if you get your way uh, without uh, interest being charged by the, the federal government, which would be helping to underwrite that, that bond program. That's correct. Now, as a slight diversion, um, I've heard other, we've had other um, business advocacy groups on the show, and they've talked about 2021 pandemic aside being a perfect storm of business costs. What are some of the other, uh, beyond the increase in, you know, we're a little bit off topic, but what are some of the other new costs that 2021 will bring to employers uh, that they hadn't seen before? So on January 1st, the minimum wage went up. Mm-hmm. And... I wish I had written that down. I forget what it is, but it's up a little. <laughs> mm-hmm. Another 75 cents, I believe. Uh, and then, of course, there's the uh, paid family medical leave program, which kicks off kicked off January 1st. Um, an additional leave program for uh, to take care of your own health or to care for another family member who has health issues or for uh, maternity leave and bonding leave. So, you know, we're going to learn how much that program costs. There are the direct costs to run the insurance program. And then the, there are the indirect costs associated with backfilling for absent employees who are taking the leave. So I think those are the two biggest. Those are the ones that I think are probably the most significant. The other conversation that we're watching with some trepidation is the Senate tax group um, and what appears to be an appetite with some for increasing corporate taxes. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there are a couple of problems with that. The first is, you know, one of my business colleagues used this expression that the barriers to leaving Massachusetts have never been lower. I mean, I happen to be sitting in Saugus right now. I could be in Mexico. I could be in New Mexico. I could be in, you know, any other place in the world. And, you know, there's the room behind me. It's not downtown Boston. Um, And so making it more likely that companies would relocate workforce out of Massachusetts to avoid paying extra tax I don't think is a very prudent course of action at the moment. I think we, we need to be a little bit more strategic about how we take care of the state's legitimate fiscal needs without doing it on the backs of employers who, by the way, have a you know multi-billion dollar UI bill that they have to figure out. So sure. that's, a big, that's a big obligation that needs to be uh, taken into consideration. That's right. Um, so there's a lot for employers to think about in 2021 beyond beyond the pandemic. Now you mentioned um, that you are uh, pleased with the our congressional delegation and their their uh, work being done in Washington to help underwrite this um, uh, financing scheme for the UI trust fund. What would be the opposition to such a financing scheme? In other words, if if we're merely in a sense paying back something that largely was unanticipated um, and, and broad sweeping and, and massive in, in scale, who would oppose uh, that kind of a financing scheme? 
So I think this generally gets lumped in under the uh, direct aid for states and municipalities, which if the news reports are accurate, that seems to be the uh, the Republican Senate that is mostly opposed to those types of measures. I, I would suggest again that the mass delegation has been fantastic, very responsive. Um, they've all sort of pitched in to, to try to help. But again, it's, it's the um, getting everybody to agree that that's the right course of action is, is the challenge. Now, when the, when the CARES Act first passed, not only did they increase the benefits for unemployment insurance, but they actually paid for it with federal money. So they created a lot, they, they created additional benefit, but they didn't leave the states holding the, the responsibility to pay for those. So that was good. And what we're suggesting is given the, you know, the, 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 the layoffs that occurred in the pandemic were not created as a result of, you know, a business cycle event. It was a total public health event. And so under the circumstances, I think a little bit more latitude in terms of how we get the states back into the black in terms of their trust funds. Um, I, I, I would make an, an argument that that's a legitimate use of federal resource. Because so otherwise, it's going to. Otherwise, it comes out of the economy, right. right? And so, rather than running around in Massachusetts, it's sitting in a trust fund. Right. It seems entirely reasonable that uh, and Massachusetts plans to pay back the debt. It just is over time, right? Over time. This is. Uh, it seems reasonable. Um, uh, now, you've talked about at the federal level, what is left to be done on the state level at Beacon Hill, on Beacon Hill? You mentioned uh, legislation filed um, in December. Uh, what needs to be done? You mentioned it's being debated as we speak. Uh, this is um, Monday the 4th. Um, what, what do legislators need to do to help employers in Massachusetts now? So that bill, uh, just being very specific, it was referred to the Joint Committee on Labor and Workforce Development. I've been told that the bill was polled over the weekend and should be coming out onto the floor today or tomorrow. Um, so the, the good news is that, that they're taking steps to make it happen. Um, it would be great if they could get it done by tomorrow. Um, I don't, I'm not sure that, I, I, don't, I don't fully know what the plan is in terms of are they gonna act on it or not. The fact that they pulled it out over the weekend is a sign that they're taking it very seriously and we're extremely grateful uh, that they're doing that. Um, so check in with me Wednesday, I'll let you know whether we made it or not. <laughs> so watch this I mean, and space. the good news is if they did it, if they did it this quickly in, in the first part of January, hopefully we could talk them into doing it again and turning it around very quickly in January, the, the second part of January. So you're confident they have the facts, they understand the challenges, uh, they're sympathetic to your perspective and employer's perspective. They just have a lot on their plate that needs to get done in a very short period of time and they may run out of time. And they may run out of time, right. And, and truthfully, the urgency here is more to provide the certainty. The actual bills don't go out until the end of the first quarter. So there's a little bit of time to figure this out, but in order for the Division of Unemployment Assistance to generate the bills, they have to understand what the what formula they're applying to individual employers' rates. Is it E or is it G? 
So many of our listeners are, of course, both legislators on Beacon Hill, but also business owners, uh, maybe members of yours. Um, if you want to have a call to action, and I like to have every every show have some sort of call to action, what would a listener or a business owner do, or who should they uh, reach out to, uh, and what should they say when helping to advocate for the action you you recommend? So in this particular instance, I don't think there's any substitute for picking up the phone and calling your state rep and your state senator. And I would do that for both your business address as well as your home address. And if anybody has trouble finding those data points out, they can call me directly and I'll help you. Um, but it's important that, that, that they communicate directly with those elected officials. I think it's good to do that anyway, not just in the case of unemployment insurance, but I think it's important to make sure they understand, the, le- the elected officials understand kind of what your business has gone through. Mm-hmm. I know good public servants like the folks we have on Beacon Hill, they try to make sure that they understand what's going on in their district I think most of them would appreciate hearing from a business owner just to, hey, let me tell you what the last 9, 10, 12 months have been like. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me tell you where I think my company's going. Um, let me tell you how, in addition to all the costs we've discussed, the other costs that you've incurred, you know, cleaning supplies, plexiglass sheets between employees and customers. I mean, there's been a lot of expense Uh, associated with this pandemic in order to keep the company in a position to be able to interact with the public and their customers, but also with their fellow employees. So it's, it's been a wild ride. There's no question about it. So I think letting people know that would be helpful. Sure. It's more than just numbers. We're talking stories of the individual employers and what they've had to endure. There may be some light at the end of the tunnel with the imminent vaccine, but uh, these guys have been through a lot. They've been through a lot. So we're getting close to the end of our show, So, uh, and you volunteered, but I'll, I'll, I'll bring it back again. Uh, for those who want to learn more about AIM, Associated Industries of Massachusetts, I'm not going to ask you to give your phone number, although you <laughs> offer to have, have folks call you directly. But how, do you, how does one uh, uh, find AIM or perhaps uh, become a member of AIM? Uh, where, where can we find you? So I think the best place to start is our website, uh, aimnet.org, really easy to remember. Uh, there's all sorts of information about who we are and uh, what we do and, and the value that we bring to Massachusetts and to the economy. Uh, and if people are interested, there are lots of ways that you can connect with us. You can connect through the membership department. My contact information is there. Uh, I'm more than happy to talk to any business owner uh, that's interested in getting more involved uh, and having aim in your corner uh, to fight the fights that you need us to fight on your behalf. Well, that's a great way to, to end the show. I appreciate your time, John. You, you really helped uh, us uh, figure out what I think is a fairly complex issue, but one that affects nearly all of us uh, in the Commonwealth. So thank you very much. Thanks, Joe. Love uh, loved being on here, and uh, thanks for your time today. This has been another episode of Hubwonk. If you enjoyed today's show, There are several ways you can support us. You can give us a five-star rating, you can offer a review, and you can subscribe to Hubwonk on your podcaster. We welcome if you want to share us with friends as well. If you have comments or questions or ideas for future episodes, you're welcome to email me at hubwonk at pioneerinstitute.org. 
Hubwonk is a podcast of Pioneer Institute, a think tank in Boston. Please join me next week for a new episode of Hubwonk. <laughs>